0: Friends, thank you for joining us at Care in the Lord podcast. Have you ever felt like the greatest accomplishment of your day was that you got up? You're in for a treat as you listen to a conversation that I had with Drew Young, as he shares in a very real and honest way some of his challenges in his young life. One of the aha moments for me was when he said, You will discover the mission in your life. Through pain and heartache. Sit back and enjoy this uplifting conversation. Welcome to Care in the Load podcast. I am so excited to have you with me today. I have Drew Young. He is the author of the book, The Meaning of Your Mission Lessons and Principles to Know You Are Enough. He serves as the publicity manager at Franklin Covey, where he assists in managing best selling book launches, social media campaigns, as well as booking high profile thought leaders, storytellers, and celebrities on leadership, the fastest growing and largest leadership development online newsletter
1: in the world. So thank you, Drew. Yeah, it's my pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: So I found you on social media. I started just following you. I saw one of your posts and I was like, what an incredible guy.
1: (laughs) I'm on there a lot nowadays. I don't know. People find me. (laughs)
0: You are. and But isn't it amazing what a gift social media can be?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: We need to have our balance in life and so many good things can come out of social media. You know, one of the first things that caught my eye when I saw one of your posts was one that you were real. Hmm. One that you weren't afraid to show the happy as well as the tough times. Right. We all have them. So often on social media, all we see is this perfect world. Right. And that's not reality.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. I, I think just, yeah, like you said, vulnerability. I've learned that, you know, firsthand. I mean, I think some people um, can take it too far uh, and some people can, you know, put a filter on everything and, you know, it's non-existent. Um, but what I try to do is I try and Like you said, I try and be real, be raw, be vulnerable, but at the same time, use my experiences to help and uplift and add hope where, you know, people may feel like there isn't a safe place of understanding. So I hope it does that.
0: It does. And it it comes through. And honestly, the more I've learned of you and your mission, it really dovetails right into care on the load. And why we felt so strongly the need to provide a safe, hopeful environment. My husband and I, Mark, have both, life has been a journey, a journey of good times and difficult times. And the one thing that I have learned out of all of this is I don't want anyone to ever feel alone. Mm. I want them to know that someone's been there before. Yeah. And they can have hope and they can be happy. That's why um, I love
1: the work you're doing. It's well, so thank needed. you.
0: So, thank, thank you so much. Just to give you a little background, Drew, I have a son who passed away. It's been nine years now. Mm. He had a brain tumor. Wow. He also went on a mission. Mm-hmm. And when he was filling out his mission papers, I thought, there is no possible way he's going to actually have a call extended to him yeah. because how you know how can he physically emotionally be able to handle this and and he did and just like you the emotional the mental stress took a toll right and he came home early and his mission was very different even though he had this a physical problem with mm. with the brain tumor, what it it also played emotionally with the the anxiety and the depression mm. and that mental illness closer to, just maybe a few months before he actually passed away. So he had maybe been home a year. Okay, that I realized what the impact of him not being able to stay what he thought
1: mm-hmm.
0: meant a successful mission. You're right. So. I've seen it firsthand in my home. I've seen it with, with two nephews that came home. Here in your book, it's amazing to me the things that you've learned <laughs> and the things that you're willing to share. Just the forward, I have so many things underlined.
1: Oh, great.
0: And it's not just for those who have or will serve a full-time mission for their church. Mm-hmm. this really is for everyone
1: absolutely yes yeah.
0: so you know i just love the me i'm just going to ask you about the title of your book the meaning of your mission
1: <laughs> well i mean it's a it's a play on words you know i mean it's it's double-edged it's two-sided uh obviously i wrote the book, The Meaning of Your Mission, because of my experiences coming home early from full-time missionary service for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And the lessons that I learned, and the experiences I had, and the emotions I felt, and the trials that I went through kind of prompted me to share my story with others in the hopes that talking about my church mission, could help them discover and live their earthly mission. And, you know, obviously for those listening that have either served a full-time mission for the church or are thinking about it or decided not to go or for whatever reason, you know, that it's just a tiny part of our lives and it can make, you know, a big impact on our lives, but it's a tiny part. And the majority of our lives are going to be, you know, with our families, with our friends, in our community. Trying to make a difference. And so I really wanted to write the book from my perspective as an early return missionary. I talk a lot about, you know, experiences I had in that realm and then apply it to a larger, broader audience where anyone can read it and say, oh, okay, someone understands me. Someone's been through something like I have, and I'm not alone. And I can do this, I can overcome my challenges, and I can have a successful life.
0: Exactly. That is the mission. Mm Yeah. in all of our lives, it really is. And we can have a successful life. And so often, it's not what we thought it was going to be. I was talking with a gal yesterday, well, messaging her back and forth, and she lives in South Africa. Oh, wow. And she has she's a senior in in her high school. And she struggled with a lot of health challenges. And she was Discouraged, and she was talking to me about how she was told by a family member that she will never reach her goals. You know, mm-hmm. you just should give up now because you'll never reach your goals. And and I just shared with her. I said, for one, I said my goals today, my dreams are very different than what my dreams were when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. I think your dreams, Drew, today are very different than Absolutely. what they were a couple of years ago. Absolutely. And so our dreams are always changing and evolving, but it comes down to, are we willing to adjust what our mission is and recognize that our mission really is to help our fellow man by our experiences? We can share in a way that is hopeful. We can share in a way that has empathy and understanding that can lift them. Will you just take us back a little bit to when you share a story in their introduction of the book, where it talks about the current Bush.
1: Yeah. Will you explain it to our listeners? Yeah, I'd be happy to. So a little background. I had, obviously I'd grown up as a member of the Latter-day Saint Church and anticipated serving a mission. You know, my dad had done it. My three older brothers had done it. And so I thought to myself you know what I'm just gonna go after high school because that's what you know all my friends were doing and it was it's just gonna be a great time and you know I, I grew up with a lot of separation anxiety which you know for anyone who doesn't quite understand that concept it's basically where you know I wouldn't be able to leave the house for long periods of time without getting you know panicky and fearful and anxious you know about the safety and well-being of my parents and so I had that in the back of my mind as I was applying for my my mission papers and um I just thought to myself, you know what, it'll be okay. The Lord will provide, you know, I'll just have faith and everything will be taken care of. So I filled out my mission papers and uh, submitted them. And about two weeks later, uh, my mom got a call from the missionary department saying, you know, we we received, you know, Drew's mission papers and, and we noticed that there are some medical red flags on his missionary application that will withhold him from being considered for missionary service for at least six months. And my mom was uh, sitting on the stairs as I came home from work one day. And she just basically told me, you know, what happened? And I thought to myself, what the heck? You know, I'm just trying to do the right thing. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm trying to live right. I'm trying to serve the Lord. And now I'm told, you know, I need to wait. And obviously we don't like to wait um we like to have what we want we want it now and uh but nevertheless i i kind of just went inside slammed the door behind me went up to my room threw my keys on the ground and just knelt by my bedside and and kind of in a a prayer of desperation just basically said you know heavenly father what's going on here you know what is what is the purpose of this like 6 months legit um and What came to my mind was the story of the current Bush, and it was it was told in general conference by Elder Christofferson, and basically what it is was um, Hubie Brown, who was a member of the first presidency of the Church a long time ago. uh, His story was he actually was a part of the military, and he was trying to attain a leadership position, and he had his interview, you know, with the higher officer, and the officer basically said, you know, you're fully qualified. We love you know what you've been able to do, but we're not gonna give you this position because you're a Mormon. We're not gonna raise you up in the in the military. And so he basically got back on the train and and headed home. And uh when he got back to his camp cot, he threw his his hat on the cot and he raised his fists up at, at heaven and he said, You know, how could you do this to me, God? I've, you know, I've done everything I can to measure up and I've I've tried to live a good life. How could you do this to me? And he heard a voice that came to his mind and the voice said, I'm the gardener here. I know what I want you to do. And basically what the, the gardener meaning was, was Hebe Brown was obviously, he grew up on a farm. And, you know, during a particular season, he cut the currant bushes and, you know, they'd be full and they'd be out all over the place. And So he trimmed them back to basically small stumps. And on one particular occasion, he thought that he heard, he saw saw the current bush crying and uh, as if the current bush was saying, you know, why did you cut cut me back? I was growing so much. I was in full bloom. Why did you cut me back? And President Brown told the current bush, I'm the gardener here. I know what I want you to do and what, what I want you to be. And so that was kind of my current bush experience where I was trying my best to grow. I was trying my best to do the right thing and be the best I could be. And I felt like I was being cut down. And, you know, looking back, six years in advance now, I completely understand the the point of it, the purpose of it. And it was just a really good testament for me um, that God is in charge. He's in the details. Our missions are totally up to him. And they're what's best for us. As as much as we think and believe and feel that, you know, we have our head on straight, we have the right path, you know, ready to go, the right job, the right career, the right family, the right spouse. God ultimately knows what's best for us. And as we listen to him and follow his plan, we'll be able to receive the happiness and fulfillment that we really desire.
0: I, I love this, this whole analogy and story. And he goes on to say, thank you, Mr. Gardner, for cutting me down, for loving me enough to hurt me. Yeah. You have a small child. I do. And um, sometimes, it hurts it hurts us and it hurts them to do things or not do things for mm-hmm. them so they can learn to grow, right. and develop and progress. I've had a current Bush experience. At the time, it was like, well, what am I doing wrong? I must I thought I was doing everything right. So why am I not able to do, you know, this, this, and this, they're all good things. Mm-hmm. But he loved me enough to allow me to hurt. Not that he hurt me, but he allowed me to hurt. Yeah. So that I could become something he wanted me to become. Absolutely. And I will never trade my experiences and who I've become for going back and having those pleas and those prayers answered the way I wanted them answered. Right. Okay, you mentioned it's been six years. Yeah. So this healing that has taken place didn't happen overnight. So you 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 actually did <laughs> receive a mission call uh uh-huh. to
1: the Baltic mission.
0: The Baltic mission.
1: Estonian speaking, so Northwest Europe.
0: So let's talk about you're a little far away from home. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and as a mom, as a mother, I might have fell to my knees, just like you said in your book that your mom did, and uh, yeah. and have that. My son, my youngest son, received his mission call. He He served a mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints as well. And he received his call about six months after his older brother passed away. Mm. And his call was to Tijuana, Mexico. Wow. Yeah, I didn't fall to my knees, but my heart sank. And it, <laughs> went, it went through the floor mm-hmm. because I thought, I lost one son. Mm. I'm going to lose another one because, you know, I'm thinking Tijuana isn't really the safest place. Yeah. So I can imagine your mom's feelings. <laughs> you went.
1: Yeah. So it turned out to be um, a, uh, I mean, call it a miracle, call it just, you know, divine design. Um, but, you know, two weeks later, I I went off to school. And as I was, you know, getting ready to go to class one morning, I, I felt my phone vibrate. And I looked down, and I saw a text from my bishop back home. And he said, you know, Drew, your, your mission call has been assigned, you should receive it this week. And I just kind of paused and I was like, what? You know, I, I had no Idea, you know, why this happened to this day? I have no idea. You know, who pushed the call through, or who said, you know what? Let's let's just make sure that he gets assigned earlier than we thought, or you know what happened? I have no idea. But um, you know, being told I had to wait six months and then receiving my call two weeks later was a testament to me that the Lord's in charge, and I think sometimes He does things to us for worse or for better to see how we would react. Um, Obviously, we have no idea um, what his thoughts are or what his plans are. Um, but I honestly believe that sometimes he asks us to do things because he wants to see what we'll do with those things. I
0: completely agree. I have often said, am I willing? Mm -hmm. He's asked certain things of me. Am I willing? Not that what I might be thinking is going to happen down the road, Right, really happens, but am I willing to accept whatever change or whatever he is asking? And I think that's really a huge part of that—that that test, if you will.
1: Yeah, and, and honestly, sometimes I mean, sometimes I'll, I'll receive promptings for you know little things that I think are inconsequential or silly, and I'll you know I'll do it, and then I'll just kind of like receive a confirmation. I just wanted to see that you would do it. You know, or something like that, where it's like, there was really nothing, no other purpose other than, I'm just seeing if you'll do what I ask you to do. And obviously, you know, that's that's Heavenly Father's plan and that's His timing. Um, but I mean, like you said, I mean, I received my mission call and uh, I received it in September of 2014 and left January 28th of 2015. And and that's where my journey really began. So, I, I was assigned... To you know the Baltic Mission Estonian speaking and so that's that's nine weeks in the in the missionary training center in Provo Utah and you know contrary to um, what a lot of people believe the MTC isn't exactly what a lot of missionaries anticipate um, it's it's hard yeah a lot of them think you know they're going to be um you know just learning a language or you know just learning about the lessons and you know it goes by quick and everything's great because you know it's the MTC and you have a lot of spiritual experiences and you know then you leave for your mission um and i'm sure that may, that may be the case for some missionaries but for me it was really difficult and uh i had always had in the back of my mind oh you know the separation anxiety could return but you know i've proved to myself that i could get over it and whatnot. But about a week and a half into the MTC, I started to notice that anxiety was returning to me in a way that I'd never felt before. And uh, it was manifesting itself in ways that I'd never experienced, um, such as, you know, I'd have really bad heart palpitations. Um, I wouldn't be able to sleep at night. I'd always feel like I needed to get up early, extra early to, you know, study my scriptures or I wouldn't be able to learn the language as well that day, you know, just things that are totally perfectionistic, um, and totally, uh, just against, you know, the spirit of the law. And, um, but I, I honestly believe that if I, if I didn't put in all the effort that I possibly could almost to the point of exhaustion, that I wouldn't be able to receive the blessings from heaven that I needed.
0: Which is like you said, it's, it, that's not a correct thought pattern. Absolutely, Um, it's, it's distorted if you will, that, but I've, I've also gone there. Yep. So I understand this. Well, if I do X, Y, and Z, then this anxiety will go away, mm-hmm. or this experience will go away because I just have to do everything I can. Well, we're they're waiting to bless us and love us. They love us unconditionally, Heavenly Father and our Savior, and our and our Heavenly Mother. There's this unconditional love. They're just waiting to bless us. Mm-hmm. But like I mentioned before, as a parent. <laughs> Sometimes we have to allow things to unfold.
1: Absolutely, yeah. There's got to be patience. There has to be faith, um, and that was difficult for me. I, I'd always been, you know, the one to take initiative and to serve and to do the best I could. And uh, I, I started to notice progressively as the MDC experience went on that I wasn't able to, to be myself. I wasn't able to do the things I wanted to do because I felt, you know, this anchor holding me down, this anxiety holding me down. And it, it, um, it progressed into a a sort of depression that, um, I'd never experienced before. I, I went to go see the MTC therapist, and she, you know, was the best hour of my week in terms of just sitting down with somebody who understood what I was going through, um, and who believed in me and who didn't downplay what I was feeling. And, to be completely honest, at the at the beginning of our visits together, she thought that I was just another homesick missionary. You know, oh this, you know, Elder Young will, will get through this. You know, he's like he's he's just going through you know homesickness, whatnot. Um, but as our as our meetings went forward, you know, weeks four, weeks five, weeks six, it started to become quite apparent that I wasn't just another missionary who was experiencing homesickness. And um, in fact, about week six, we were sitting down together. And uh, I was basically just saying, you know, this is awful. I feel like I'm not good enough. I'm trying to do all these things to try and measure up. And I just can't, I can't do it. And I'm stressed and I'm tired and I'm anxious and I'm lonely. And I'm, you know, I'm having all these panic attacks. And finally, she said, you know, Elder Young, I finally get it. You're, you're not homesick. She said, you're on the Titanic and you're going down fast.
0: It's quite the analogy, but that is (laughs) it.
1: Exactly, what was happening? One hundred percent. It was. It was. I mean, it was music to my ears in a sense of, oh, finally someone gets it. But it also left me totally terrified because, you know, what that entailed for my future was at the time unknown. Um, But you know, with that kind of um, prognosis, she she sent me to the head doctor at the MTC, where I was prescribed medication for the first time in my life. And uh, I actually ended up being on three different medications in five weeks, which for anyone who is familiar with, you know, antidepressants, anti anxiety medication, you usually want to be on one medication for three to four weeks before you start seeing results. Um, But they just had me on this fast acting, you know, really heavy stuff to see if they could see any improvement before they shipped me off to this foreign country where they didn't know how I'd get the help that I needed. And so it was just like sensory overload. emotionally just traumatizing, not necessarily because of what people were or weren't doing, but because I was just in such a foreign element in my mind. And my emotional skeleton was starting to get so fractured where I just couldn't, you know, find a way out. But through all of this, I knew one thing and that was, I do not want to go home. Um, Because, you know, at the time, and, you know, still to this day, there's a stigma around returning home early from full-time missionary service, which is, you know, there's weakness involved in that, or there's a lack of testimony, or there's past sins that were unresolved, or, you know, there's just an element of, oh, they just couldn't handle it.
0: Well, all of those things are true in, in seeing and, and be witnessing how people um, react to those things and how they, reacted to those that that I love. Um and really I have a love for anyone who is an early return missionary that likewise far exceeds and I think it's that empathy, you know, mm-hmm. anyone that was able yeah. to stay out there yeah. to the date that they thought their return would be. But I also understand that desire to not come home. Mm-hmm probably been something you had dreamt about your entire life was serving this mission
1: yeah it was um not only was it was a personal goal of mine but you know it was an expectation um from you know my family from the church as a whole you know it's a duty for a young man to serve a mission um and it was just something that had been um placed on me from such a young age you know this is what you do And never had I heard, you know, but if, you know, you do come home early, these are some things you can do. No, there was no talk of that because, you know, it's, you get the job done. You go and you don't, you don't give up. And it's the same with, you know, other things as well, you know, mental illness, same sex attraction, addiction, you know, we don't really talk about things because we don't really know how to address it in a way that keeps the bar high, but also involves a lot of empathy where it's like. It's like in a sense we're saying you know this doesn't exist even though we know it exists we're saying it doesn't exist because we don't want to have to go through it. And um, because we, we don't know
0: how to go through it and we don't understand that addressing it. You know, I think for me with I remember when our son died people didn't know even though it, we'd been dealing with this for years. Yeah. They didn't know how to approach us anymore or mm-hmm. you know talk to us and and so that was a whole different Set of issues, but yet it was the same. I think that as a whole, we're trying to do better in talking about it in the church and being more open and more real and more that these things are real and that expectation that you grew up with. Now, I hope is, you know, yes, it's still a wonderful thing to do, but it's not the same. Yeah, at least from my perspective, it, it seems like it might. They understand, and they're more concerned about the individual's health, mental, yeah. physical, everything, and not just. Yep, you you want to go? Sure.
1: So, yeah, hundred percent. I I totally agree. I think that you know it's. I talk about this in the book where you know there's a difference between man-made expectations that can appear like doctrine and actual, you know, doctrine and commandments from God. And I always tell people, you know, sometimes people say, oh, well, you just don't think, you know, people should serve missions because you're bitter. And I think, well, no, that's not the case at all. I think that you should follow the spirit and do exactly what's right for your personal circumstances. And if, if you have the desire to serve, go for it. And if you come home early, I'll be your friend, number one supporter. I'll do whatever I can for you. And if you can complete it and do exactly what the Lord needed you to do, you know, awesome that's fantastic. But we need to stop putting these expectations on people where they won't feel enough if they don't attain a type of level of, you know, commitment or conversion. Um, And I'm really trying to kind of talk about this a lot more because I don't put the blame on anybody. I think that, you know, everyone was just raised with beliefs of the past generation and, you know, what their parents were taught and what their parents were taught. And so, Nowadays, I think that, you know, old people and young people in and out of the church are starting to realize, you know what, it's time to change some, some paradigms that we've had. It's time to shift our thinking and our mindsets to where someone we thought was a sinner isn't actually a sinner. Someone we thought did something that was, you know, against the status quo. is just like you and me. And I'm really trying and, you know, some books that are going to be coming out in the next few months, even to talk about, you know, LGBTQ um, and, you know, suicide prevention and addiction and all of these topics that, you know, five, 10 years ago were you just know, so taboo. So we don't talk about it. You'd swept it under the rug. Yeah, you exactly. don't
0: Talk about any of these things. And even for me to be coming out now and talking about my personal experiences, my experiences of, Having you know the the abuse that I experienced as a child or you know people don't talk about that well guess yeah. what we do yeah and that's where the healing takes place. That's where the um, the generational things that have gone on before can be changed
1: mm-hmm.
0: and we can we can rise to a better level. I just did an interview with a um, recently retired school administrator. Talking about those expectations yeah. and how can we help our youth, you know, reach their potential, but not the expectations that put them over the top where they do want to commit suicide or they do commit suicide. Yeah. These are all things that we need to be able to fine tune. We need to, be able to see those those red flags and we need to talk.
1: Yeah. There has to be an environment of listening, of understanding, of empathy. Um, and I actually talk about in my book, there's an other author and researcher from Stanford University. Her name is Carol Dweck. And she wrote a book that um, is basically about having a growth, growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. And in her study, she studied these little kids who were in elementary school. And obviously, you know, in a lot of elementary schools, when kids don't do well on an exam or something, they get an F, which is like a failing grade. Right. And, you know, they have to go home to their parents and say, you know, I got an F and, you know, their parents say, well, that's not good enough and so on and so forth. And it, it messes with their psyche, you know, all throughout school. And then they feel like, oh, if I don't attain a certain level of expectation, I'm a failure. And so what she started to implement in elementary school was, was um, instead of doing a failing grade, you give the child a not yet grade, meaning mm-hmm. you haven't understood it yet, but you will. And that is an excuse for you know not studying or slacking off. It's a way to help children understand that we're not saying that you didn't get it and you're never going to get it. We're saying that you know maybe you need a, le- a little extra time, maybe you need a tutor, maybe you need your parents to help you more with your homework. And what that translates over into, is a mindset in a culture where people understand that, you know what, not yet. You'll get there. You'll get there. And there's nothing wrong with you know being a little bit on your own path and on your own journey. It's just a not yet. And um, when we do that, it really raises people's self-esteem so they don't feel like they have to be on this strict timeline and this strict, you know, straight jacket of, you know, you have to do this at this time and with this person, otherwise it's not good enough. And so, I'm trying to do that and some friends of mine are trying to instill that paradigm shift into people so that they understand that, you know, people are different. Everyone has their own stuff going on. No one knows the behind the scenes of people's lives. But what we can do is just be empathetic, be understanding and be loving and create that environment, like you said, where we can just listen to people and understand them. And then that's when we're really going to start seeing some magic happen. And, you know, when a kid feels understood, when a kid feels loved, they don't need motivation. They'll go out and they'll crush it in life. But it's when they feel, you know, the huge burden, the huge expectation placed upon them, that's when they start seeing some, you know, side effects of, oh, you know, I'm gonna rebel or I'm gonna mess this up on purpose. So it's about creating an environment of love and understanding which will get us, you know, where we need to be. Exactly. I'm going to instill that shift of
0: it's a not yet. Yeah. That changes everything. Yeah. In that whole, that mind shift, even in my mind now, yeah. it doesn't have to just be as a little child. Yeah, absolutely. Use it now. But I'm going to use it now. <laughs> like what that, that says to, to me, when I maybe didn't hit the expectation I'd set for myself was it's a not yet. Yeah. I'm still learning. I'm still developing as opposed to, oh, you screwed up. Exactly. So it is a completely different thing. Drew you've got so many aha moments for me <laughs> in this and I love that growth mindset versus fixed mindset but let's circle back here you are you're on all these different meds yeah and i'm grateful for the for meds i'm grateful for the tool
1: likewise
0: that they they help us you know so many people will think well, I'm not going to go on any medication for, you know, any mental health, any anxiety, depression because that means I'm weak. I uh, <laughs> admitting to this, but guess what? When we have a broken arm, yeah. We might get it, we might have to wear a cast. Yeah. If you're diabetic, well, maybe we have to take insulin. Amen. So, if we have anxiety and depression, why not get the help that God's blessed us with with medication? that can be a tool to assist us in this not yet process
1: that I couldn't have said that any better. I think you just summed it up perfectly. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I was, I was what I asked people not to do now. Um, before I started taking medication, before I started going to therapy, I had that mindset that was, you know, Oh, it's associated with weakness or, you know, Oh, it's just, it's what you do when you're on the verge of divorce, you go to see a, you know, a therapist, you know, stuff like that. that That's just thinking about it now. I'm like, wow, I was so ignorant. Um, But having not yet, exactly understand because people didn't talk about it. Exactly. And so I was just, you know, raised with, that's just how the culture was. And that's what I was taught. Um, But it wasn't until I actually had to go through those things myself that I realized, oh my gosh, this is a lifesaver, literally. Mm -hmm. For people who struggle, for people who go through things that are fought deep within their souls, um, medication and therapy can be the difference between taking your own life, you know, lashing out at somebody else, quitting your job or having an amazing existence, which is what we're here to do. And so, yes, absolutely. I, you know, I came home for my mission, obviously early. Um, week nine, they sent me home and that's when my, my journey of, of pain and recovery simultaneously began. And that's when I started going to therapy, you know, every other week and started taking more medication to kind of figure out, you know, what was going on. And the next 18 months of my life were the most difficult, um, because of, you know, trying to battle the cultural stigmas and expectations, trying to figure out what my own mission in life was. But, you know, to this day, 24 years old, take medication every day, see a therapist every other week, um, you know, write in my journal every night. Like I, I still do the things that I needed to do when I was really struggling. And I still have days that are hard, but I'm not afraid to, like you said, I'm not afraid to be raw and real and, you know, post on social media about the fact that I take Zoloft because... Millions of other people take it and they need to feel like they have a place to voice their um, opinions and voice their, you know, what they want to do in life. And um, I'm not afraid to talk about therapy and I'm not afraid to to talk about the fact that I wanted to commit suicide at one point in my journey because of how low I was and how much I felt like I wasn't good enough. And, you know, it's just I'm here today because of all the amazing things and people that I've been in my life. And also because, you know, it doesn't matter how many times we fall down, we can keep getting back up and all of those experiences that we thought, you know, demonstrated weakness or frailty were actually experiences that just proved to ourselves that we could do it and we do now hard. we can help so many more people. Yeah. We can do hard things. You know, you've gone
0: from this fixed mindset to this growth mindset. Yes, And it's going to continue to expand as we continue to grow and progress. And so, you know, for me, I I didn't want people to know I went to therapy. Well, yeah. guess who still goes to therapy? <laughs> I think everybody should go to therapy.
1: Yep, it's true.
0: I, I'm happier. Mm-hmm. I have someone that I can. Trust. No, I mean, I trust my husband. Don't get me wrong, and my family and my my friends, but I can share a
1: licensed professional,
0: a licensed <laughs> professional who is going to be honest with me, yeah, and call me out on certain things if I need to be called out, mm-hmm. and not just tell me what maybe I want to be told. Yeah, agreed. And so, so grateful for that. But there is growth in learning. And our missions are so different from those fixed missions
1: that we thought they were. Yep. Everyone has their own individual mission. Everybody.
0: So you, you brought out this interesting point that those 18 months were the hardest 18 months when after the early release from your mm-hmm. mission. But it's because all of a sudden, I believe, you started having to focus on yourself a little bit. Like you, I know how to stay busy to have those, that fixed mindset. And if I do this and this and this, well, that will equal this, right? Yeah. But all of a sudden everything shifted and you had to look, I think the hardest things in life is to sit in that pain and to heal. Mm. True. And it doesn't happen overnight.
1: Doesn't happen overnight we're so we're so accustomed to you know instant gratification that we think you know healing should take effect. you know you break your leg, you're out of a cast in six to eight weeks and you know mental and emotional trauma is not like that we need to be patient with ourselves we need to be willing to to go through the struggle and grow through the struggle and um, what we'll find out you know eventually is it was all for a purpose absolutely. I love
0: that go through and grow through. I'm just writing all these notes down as (laughs) keywords because it's true. You know, we put that timetable and let me ask you this, because you have gotten to this point that you are in your healing journey. Do you still have bad days?
1: Absolutely. I had one, I had one um, three nights ago, actually. It was uh, scary. It was sudden. Um, It was unknown and it was, just one of those nights where I just felt depressed and angry and um alone. And yeah, so I absolutely still have those days, even though I'm trying to do the right things. And, you know, I'm sure I'll have these days the rest of my life, not because I'm, you know, um wanting them or anything, but just because that's life. That's that's illness. That's, you know, what life brings um with it. And so absolutely I still have hard days. Um, but luckily I have, you know some more skills, some more techniques and some more people who can help me through it.
0: It makes all the difference in the world. And I think it's so interesting because I saw your post talking about you had a hard day, you know, yeah. it just came out of nowhere. Well, guess what happened to me last Monday night? <laughs> and I'm thinking, what in the world? I mean, it just hit me. And 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 my husband could see it, and he, we went for a walk, and we we're doing all the things, all the skills, all the tools, all the things that typically will pull me back out. Yep. And you know, I wasn't in a fair to partly cloudy. It was dark. It, yep, that storm was overwhelming. Anyway, I just it took me a few days. It took me a few days using all the skills I had. And then Friday, I was listening to a book on tape, um, The Greatest Salesman. It's a very old book. but Og Ogmandino. It's a good one. And chapters, he was talking about Scroll Six. And I listened to it multiple times. And I, all of a sudden, the light came. And I was so grateful for that, and being back where I was, and knowing that I had, you know, gone through another thing, and grateful for it. Final uh, comments here. What would you like to share? If there's anything that we haven't touched on, just as we wind things up.
1: Yeah, I just want everyone listening to this today to know that um, you have know, a lot of people pulling for you, and uh, I don't know exactly what you're going through. I don't know, you know, what pains you're experiencing, and. Or what your relationships look like in life, but just keep going forward. Um, Sometimes the the greatest accomplishment of the day is just to keep breathing, um, to get up out of the bed. And so, I believe in you. Um, You know, I'm not just saying that because it's kitschy or cliche. I really believe it. Um, I really believe that, you know, we all have a mission in life and that's discovered through pain and heartache. But once it's discovered, it's a beautiful journey that starts. And so, yeah, just know that you can keep, you can do it. Keep pushing forward and send me a message on Facebook and, you know, tell me how you're doing. I'd love to hear from you and just know that you're going to make it. Okay.
0: Thank you for joining. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that you have enjoyed our conversation with Drew Young as we discussed the meaning of your mission. We hope that you have recognized some of these lessons and principles to know you are enough. Each of us have a story to share. Arthur Brené Brown reminds us that owning our story is the bravest thing you will ever do. The stories and experiences our guests share inspire us, as well as help us to grow and connect with others. We invite you to become a part of Karen the Load community through social media, as well as to share the site with those you know. We are stronger together. Keep Karen.